This is Hammond. And Jessica. And you're listening to the Friendly Atheist Podcast. Please go to patreon.com slash Friendly Atheist Podcast. If you give $5 a month, hey, what else are you doing this new year? Treat yourself. You will get access <laughs> to a bonus episode for Patreon subscribers only. And we appreciate what uh, your support. And also this podcast will be available on the Friendly Atheist YouTube channel. Happy New Year to all of you. Happy New Year, Jess. Uh, Happy New Year, Hammond. How has (laughs) your first week been? (laughs) It's been uneventful, but we're recording remotely today uh, just for safety reasons. Why not? Because I have the COVID because my brother-in-law opted out of getting a vaccination and then uh, now everybody uh, on that side of the family has it. Not everybody. I would say about 70% of us who went to that particular party have it. Um, it's like I tell you, stop having family members and everything is okay. Listen, there is going to be some real soul searching about when we see those family members again. I will tell you that right fucking now. (laughs) Um, yeah, no, I'm very angry about it. Um, but physically I'm fine. Um, Mikey had a little, uh, he had it worse than me, but he's kind of out of the woods too. Um, we're both just congested. So if I sound like I can't breathe through my nose, it is because I can't not. There you go. Um, so. But you're feeling better, so we figured, let's do this yeah. anyway. Um, yeah, we tested literally like an hour ago to see if <laughs> Hemet could come over here to record, and unfortunately, both of us were still positive after a week, so fuck everything. Fuck everything. That's okay. Soon it'll yeah. be better. Let's Great. start Can't with wait. Pope News, as uh, this is the reason everyone listens. Here's what the Pope said <laughs> this week. The Pope, uh, Pope Francis said this this week in a speech. I'm going to read you the full quote, and then we could talk about it. Uh-huh. We, sh- we should not be afraid to choose the path of adoption, to take the risk of welcoming children. And today, with orphanhood, there is a certain selfishness. The other day, I spoke about the demographic winter there is nowadays in which we see that people do not want to have children, or just one and no more. And many, many couples do not have children because they do not want to, or they have just one, but they have two dogs, two cats. Yes, dogs and cats (laughs) take the place of children, Yes, it's funny, I understand, but it is the reality. And this denial of fatherhood or motherhood diminishes us. It takes away our humanity. So the Pope is saying if you have pets in lieu Mm -hmm. of having kids, you're a Mm -hmm. horrible person and very selfish and not contributing to society, you selfish MFs. Now... (laughs) Do you think this is the main reason that the Pope disapproves of me and my lifestyle or just like (laughs) one of many? Like if there's one person you don't want to take parenting advice from, it's the guy who has vowed to never, ever have kids. What the fuck are you talking about? (laughs) What? Who asked you, sir? I should say the tweets in response uh, to all the news outlets saying, you know, the Pope, basically says having pets instead of children is somehow an act of selfishness as uh-huh. if every single person is choosing like, well, should I have a child or should I have a pet? Let me go with the pet, which is not how the thinking works exactly. But it's I like, mean, oh, is the Vatican going to pay my child's, uh, my daycare payments? Is right. <laughs> Do they understand I, the world you're bringing a child into? Just to I name think- one issue. Yeah, we get a lot of this kind of rhetoric. Um, usually it's from from the right of like 
nobody's having babies because either women are choosing their careers or they're choosing dogs or they're gay, um, which I think are all really good reasons <laughs> to choose <laughs> Um, but it's it never ever ever um takes in this scope and obviously the vatican um you know the vatican isn't speaking to the u.s in particular but we have the same rhetoric on our you know state side and people are like oh you have to have babies because we need workers in our machines i guess i don't know how work works <laughs> i haven't done it in a long time um but they don't understand the cost of living and the cost of medical care and the cost of daycare and the cost of clothes and foods and formula and like it's insanity it is it is an insane undertaking to have a human child like financially and emotionally and all of those things but like hey it's not for everybody and maybe people who don't want to have kids shouldn't because they know themselves better than I mean the, the pope does the pope made a choice not to have children but apparently mm-hmm. he doesn't and like while it suffering if, today <laughs> he doesn't like it if other people make a choice to not have children or hey if you're in a same sex marriage it's not like the pope wants you to have children because <laughs> he doesn't want you to be in a relationship at all like the yeah the uh, incredible audacity of the Pope of all people to say, let me tell you what's wrong with people who don't have kids. Um, uh, yeah, yeah, is yeah. just, uh, that's a stretch. It's, it's so ironic and sad and pointless. Like who cares? Why are we listening to him? Nobody cares. I wish that was the reaction <sighs> from more people. It never is. Of course. No, but well, there are, listen, if you There's want a man people... who is like basically a king of a religion that I don't believe in, <laughs> so I'm not sure why if the, if the, I am the one who is like responsible for responding to him. If the Catholic care. Church wants more people to have kids, they should make it easier to not have unwanted kids, which means more birth control access instead of saying it's evil, making sure abortion is available and safe for everyone who needs to get that because if people had the choice to not have children when they don't want to they would be more likely to have them because everything else has been or at least as much as they could control has been taken care of like the priorities here for someone who says his goal is for more kids is completely backwards which yeah it's yeah uh, like god why 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 do we have to listen to him well, thankfully, we don't. He doesn't matter uh, yeah. to us. Let me talk about what's going on in Oklahoma, because this uh, what they're doing, uh, what a legislature, letters, uh, excuse me, what a legislator wants to do in Oklahoma is wild. Um, and here's some backstory here before I get into this. In 2010, Oklahoma passed a law that lets high school dist- or lets public school districts offer uh-huh. an elective class for high school students where they could learn about the Bible. You could have a class on the Old Testament or the New Testament or combine uh-huh. them. And it's like, how does the Bible influence literature? What are the Bible stories so that you are culturally literate? Because, and I, I have no problem admitting this, there are so many things in the Bible that if you don't know the stories, because maybe you weren't raised in the faith or you don't uh-huh. didn't choose to learn about it, you're going to miss out on a lot of literary allusions and artistic allusions and all of that. So there is value 
in learning about Adam and Eve and what the Sermon on the Mount is and things like that. Not because you should believe them, not because they're true, but because for the same reason you should read some Shakespeare and you should know Dottie, Dottie is mad. Because you need to know some basic canon, some works of literature, because it has such a huge impact on our culture. That's it. So as an elective yeah, I, just, course, just to add, um, yeah. I was a lit major at, at Ball State and I had never read the Bible for for obvious reasons. Um, and I took an early European lit class, like the one where you read like Beowulf and Canterbury Tales. Yeah. Um, and we read Genesis as part of our reading. And I'm glad we and, and I realized at that time, like, oh, I am missing a lot of illusions because I don't know biblical stories and, yeah. and mythology. And so, yeah, I if you are somebody who wants to learn more about world religions or be, a you know, study literature or whatever, like, yeah, it's great. I mean, even I forget J.K. Rowling for a second, but like if you've read Harry Potter, it is hard not to see connections to biblical myths and things like that. Again, the point here is if you want to be a well-cultured, well-read person who kind of can make sense of our, the world around us, mm-hmm. that's not a bad class to take. So I don't Agreed. necessarily have a problem with the course being offered as an elective. You get class credit for it. But mm-hmm. there, again, I'm, all of this is under the presumption that it's done properly. And that right. very much means it is being taught, the Bible is being taught as literature not as something true that actually happened. Save that bullshit for church. Okay, so that's fine. So that's what they offered in 2010. And by the way, Oklahoma's not alone. Other states do this too. I should point out that the bill that became law, excuse me, uh, what they said back in the day in Oklahoma is that this had to be taught uh, with religious neutrality and Specifically, the law said such a class cannot endorse, favor, or promote, or disfavor, or show hostility toward any particular religion or non-religious faith or religious perspective. They really (laughs) tried to make it explicitly clear, no indoctrination, (laughs) because if you're a Christian nationalist and you really want to teach the Bible in school, this is the legal maneuvering you have to do to make it okay. Okay, so... That passed. Um, And by the way, I should add, the same law said the person teaching this class had to be certified to teach either social studies or literature, which makes sense because they were saying this is Bible as how it impacts culture, how it impacts literature. So, of course, you want someone who teaches social studies or literature to teach it. And one last thing, that same law said, as for a textbook, any version of the Bible is fine. It said... Students shall not be required to use a specific translation as the sole text for such a class, <laughs> which makes sense. Because if you want to teach kids about, you know, the Garden of Eden and the references from that, doesn't mm-hmm. matter what version of the Bible you use. The story's the same in all of them. Right. Okay, so that was the law. Now, that's not to say it didn't have problems. Because when the class is proposed in Oklahoma, when it was proposed in any state, the response from church state separation people tends to be, I don't trust you people to teach it objectively as you say you're going to. And in fact, in 2014, the biggest controversy that I could find involving this class is that in 2014, one Oklahoma school district adopted an entire curriculum of Bible classes 
um, that happened to be written by guess who? Who? Hobby Lobby's president, Steve Green. <gasps> no. And Hobby Lobby loves Jesus and sure do. Uh, and stealing artifacts. sacred artifacts yes. from other cultures. They love this. Like, yeah. <laughs> so the district said, yep, we're going to take their curriculum. That's what we're going to use to teach students in our district. And they didn't <laughs> offer any specifics. They just kind of accepted it. And the Freedom from Religion Foundation, and I, maybe the ACLU and maybe Americans United for Separation of Church and State, got a hold of the textbook that they plan to use for this class. And they're going through it. And they made it very clear with examples that this textbook has a clear pro-Christian bias. It describes the Bible as historically accurate and true in all respects. It Mm. makes theological claims. Basically, if they go through with this class, you are breaking the law from what you said it was going to be. And your own fucking law. (laughs) Yeah. And the district eventually said, hey, Hobby Lobby, we'll go (laughs) forward with this class on two conditions. One is that you show us what you want to teach and give us the textbook and all the lesson plans. Hobby Lobby said no. (laughs) And number two, (laughs) and number two, the district said, in case we get sued over this, we want the company Hobby Lobby to, or whoever the parent company is to Uh make, to like cover all the legal costs we might have to deal with. Like give us insurance, give us the legal liability coverage here. And Hobby Lobby said, no. <laughs> Thank you. And then we're the good. district said, we're not going to move forward anymore. <laughs> but the point here is not that this is one anomaly. The point is, as soon as you offered this Bible class, all the worst fears of church-state separation people right. totally came through. You saw Christian nationalists saying, oh, we have an in? We're going to try to take advantage of it to proselytize to students. Yeah, it's... So, it's it's a real give them an inch situation yes. that like this should be something that's mutually beneficial to everybody. And yet and yet they want to take advantage and preach as if this is yep. Sunday school and church. OK, so that yep. brings me to what happened this week. Uh, the Oklahoma legislature has not opened up for business just yet, but mm-hmm. l- lawmakers can pre-file bills that they want to file uh, for this legislative session. And one of them came from state Senator George Burns. Uh, who wants to change that law about Bible classes, and he wants to make three specific changes to the law. And they're all insane. Oh, good. I can't wait to hear them. (laughs) Change number one, there's going to be an official textbook for the course, and it's going to be the King James Bible. Like the old... The old-fashioned thou art, thou shalt type of language Bible. And yeah, really bore the shit out of those kids. <laughs> he says very clearly the authorized version of the Bible, which is more commonly known as the King James Version of the Bible, shall be the primary text of the course. To be clear, Catholics don't use the King James Bible. Most Christian churches don't use the KJV. It's like... Wait, Really? Yeah, most fundamentally, they, they use other translations that are more like language Readable? friendly that okay. actually talk the way we talk. Not slangy, oh, but it's like sure, Adam sure, and sure. God created the world in seven days. Not like God, thou shalt, and whatever. Behold. Yeah, because yeah. no one talks like that. And also, why are we using this archaic language? And also, they're right. very more uh, fire and brimstone as opposed to what did they actually get at? 
Mm-hmm. And I'll give you the justification for this in a bit. But you know who likes the KJV Bible? Fundamentalist Baptist churches. That's who uses really? the KJV. Like all those new independent fundamentalist Baptist crazy people. That's oh, who so loves. it's like the more strict one? Yes. Okay, gotcha. that's change number one. Here's right. change number two that George Burns wants to make. The right. previous requirement for who could teach the course is it had to be a certified social studies or lit teacher, English teacher. Oh, no. It, this would now say, yeah, they can teach the class, but also, and I'm quoting here, an ordained or licensed member of the clergy may be selected mm-hmm. by the school district to teach a course offered pursuant to the section, dot, 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 uh, assuming they are non-compensated uh, volunteers. In English, what he's saying is, oh, if God. you're a pastor and we don't pay you, and you have then, Tuesday afternoons off. Then that's it. You're good to go. You could teach the class. So a fundamentalist Christian preacher is allowed to teach the class, even if they have no background in education, mm-hmm. because they're not getting paid by the school district to do it. That's the caveat there. Great. No so Another way to get fundamentalist Christianity specifically into schools. And the last provision, which honestly, it's probably the least uh concerning is that all school libraries that offer this course have to include a copy of the KJV Bible in their school libraries. Oh, sure. Well, those are really hard to find. So as if you can't find a Bible on your phone to read or something, (laughs) but also like for a Republican, and I didn't tell you this, I didn't tell you this guy was a Republican, but you knew, um, of course I did. For all the people who are like, we want government not micromanaging your life. This is very specifically, well, let's go over the heads of school librarians who already have systems in place to yeah. order books that they need for their district. Um, mm-hmm. Let's just override them and say, no, you got to have this particular version of the Bible. So that's his bill. Mm-hmm. That's what he wants to do to the class. Uh, and he thinks this is all going to fly And so I was trying to look for if he offered any justification for the bill. And uh, I'm going to try to find you the specific language. He just he didn't post this initially. He only did Mm -hmm. it recently. But here's his justification uh, for why he wants to do this. He just posted it on his website. He said, our founding Uh-oh. fathers relied heavily Uh-oh. upon the scriptures in the formation of our country, and the Bible they used was the King James Bible, which makes it an important historical document. It influenced the writing of the major documents that created this country, including the Constitution, and it's in the public domain, dot, dot, whatever. It's in the public domain, which, <laughs> unlike the other Bibles that were just written in the last 25 years. <laughs> like... About the public domain thing, it's true. The KJV is in the public domain. It's free to use. Anyone is. can use it. There are versions of the Bible that are commonly used that are actually copyrighted because they paid for the translation and other people oh. use it. But if the go- but again, none of that should matter because, again, if you're teaching the story of Adam and Eve, you can right. use any version of the Bible, and there's no requirement for what students have to use. The school district is not saying, let's use some company's version of the Bible. Mm-hmm. It's not. It's saying, kids, get whatever Bible you want. We're going to just go over Genesis to talk about the, rele- the relevant things. I would so kind of think it'd matter. be more interesting to have for everybody to have a different translation so you could like get at what 
what does a translation mean? What does it mean to be like, is this really the the word of God? If we have 16 different translations that <laughs> yes, what is the that exact same thing. Yeah. It's the true word of God, except there are 97 versions of it. Right. Um, and also who cares if the founding fathers only had the King James version to yeah. use because we're not going into, I mean, it doesn't matter what they used. We're not teaching them the history of American culture. And by the way, the myth that this is a Christian nation and all that stuff, he's implying that this is a Christian nation. So we ought to use what the founders used. No, that's not what this class is about. It's about (laughs) the Bible as literature. It's a total like useless, irrelevant argument. He's trying to make in justification of it. So of course I went down the rabbit hole. I'm like, who is this guy? And you will never get this. He just got elected last year as a state okay. senator in Oklahoma, and he won comfortably. He's in a red district. He beat the Democrat by a ton. It uh-huh. wasn't going to be a close race. But in the GOP primary for his election, he there were like it's one of those districts where only there are four thousand votes for the GOP primary. He Jesus, won uh-huh. by twenty-two votes. Wow, it was that razor tight? For the GOP primary. And I'm not saying the other Republican would have been better, but (laughs) like this guy's only in office because he scraped by, I'm just saying elections matter. Uh, I know it's the GOP primary, but still. Um, And I'll just add, look, I don't know that this bill will pass. I don't know it'll become law. It really does open the door for a lot of Christians to criticize the Oklahoma legislature for considering it by saying, nope, only my Bible counts and your Bible doesn't. Like, huh, you're, yeah. it's not just people like us criticizing it. Christians are going to criticize it. So it's not a done deal, even in a GOP red state, overwhelmingly Republican legislature. But I also couldn't tell you this is going to be tossed out immediately because sure. it's Oklahoma. So, like, right. so I don't know. But like, if you live Little in Oklahoma, <laughs> contact your lawmakers and tell them to not do this because it's insane. Yeah, um, great. just a horrible law, but that's what passes for Republican legislation these days. <laughs> oh, by the way, I forgot to mention this. Guess what church this guy belongs to? A oh, fundamentalist uh, Baptist church that what? says on its website, the King James Version of the Bible shall be the official and only translation used by this church. Surprise. Oh <laughs> Jeez okay, Louise. we're moving on to a different uh, story. This one made me... Amused, do you remember last year we talked about a guy named Stuart Allen Clark of First General Baptist Church in Missouri? And we talked about him because this is the guy who told his congregation uh, that Melania Trump was a trophy wife and all women should aspire to be more like her. I remember him. Yeah, it was it, that clip went so viral for all the wrong reasons if you're him, where he's like, what? You know, wives, if you gain weight, like, that's your fault. And you should all aspire to be more like Melania, the ultimate trophy wife, (laughs) and all that. Um, And he also said if husbands cheat on their wives, it's because she let herself go. Like, Mm. things like that. It was very bad. And then after he said it, his own church is like, he's we're going to take him out of the pulpit for a while, give him some counseling. He's agreed Mm. to this. And then, like, five weeks later, he was back as if nothing ever happened. And we forgot all about it because they just shut down their social media, stopped posting Mm -hmm. videos on YouTube. Well, a couple months ago, he got back on YouTube and I noticed it 
but nothing like I was kind of waiting for to see what's he going to do. Has he become changed? Has he changed in any of his positions? He's not uh-huh. apologizing. They they just kind of did slid it under the radar, hoping no one would notice. <laughs> so I've been watching his sermons every week just to oh, see God. what he's up lunatic because I got nothing better to do with my life. Mm-hmm. And this uh, last week, he gave a sermon about divorce and why you should always avoid divorce with the exceptions of abuse or adultery. He made those caveats. But I heard this. I'm like, when is divorce acceptable? He tried to talk about that. And he specifically said (laughs) divorce is, and I'm quoting here, part of the Babylonian scheme to break down the family. And then he's anticipating his critics. And he says, I know what the Bible says. I hear people saying, well, he, she, my partner, they don't make me happy and I deserve to be happy. And here he is. He's about to dismiss all of this. Uh-oh. He, he doesn't think that's a valid option to get divorced because you are unhappy in your marriage. So here's what he said. I'll tell you what, you know what I did okay. before I got married? I read my vows because, you know, I wanted to know what I was getting into. And here's getting what into. they here's what they said. I dot, 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 take you to be my wife, to have and hold from this day forward, better for worse, richer for poor, sickness and in health, love and to cherish from this day forward until death do us part. I don't see anything there about me being happy. So why are churches obsessed with if you're happy, you're doing it wrong? I don't I truly do not understand it. He apparently this I'm sure his wife is thrilled about this. He's basically saying if I'm unhappy in my marriage, it doesn't matter because that's not part of the social contract you make on your wedding day. It's not in your vows that I'll take you for like happiness or not. So therefore, when you promise to God that you're going to love this person forever, happiness isn't one of the preconditions to stay in that marriage. So he's basically saying, if you're deeply unhappy, you cannot get divorced. And he is saying this, A, as a brag, Uh and B, presumably as a way to like, you know, they're always evangelizing, right? You think this is enticing people to come into your church? Like, hey, if you're married and miserable, tough shit, nerds. Like, what? What? It's so I. There are some subreddits dedicated to fundamentalist Christianity and the characters that are on social media when it comes to fundamentalist Christianity. And of course, these are the best subreddits, but it's also full of gossip and like rumors, which I don't care about. I don't care about their private lives. I do care about what those people are putting out there in public. I do. Do you have any good gossip? Oh, so much. There is, <laughs> there's one uh, sisterhood they put out. Uh, if you if you know who I'm talking about, you know who I'm talking about. And if you don't, it doesn't matter. But it's like a couple Ooh. sisters that put out videos encouraging young women to be good fundamentalist, good Christian women. <gasps> yes, yes, yes. And it turns out one of them who recently, I think, had a baby and relatively yep. recently got married. And she made a big deal about how she was abstinent before marriage. And her first kiss was on her wedding day. And all the stuff you expect from a purity culture advocate mm-hmm. who has paid zero attention to the conversation right. people have been having, even in Christian circles, <laughs> about the damage that purity culture causes. Well, recently uh-huh. she's been posting so much on Instagram saying, like, uh, how do you project like a happy face if you're not happy in your marriage 
Mm-hmm. And everyone on these subreddits are like reading between the lines. Like, oh, like you don't have to. It sounds like you're telling us you're not happy or that <laughs> things are going down. And the response is like, no, that's not what I said. I'm trying to help women to say, like, look, you don't have to project happiness every day. It's okay to have off days in your marriage, which is true. But also, she seems to be doing that a lot. (laughs) So it's been very amusing to read all the conversations surrounding it where it's like, girl, if you're not happy, it's okay to leave. Like, (laughs) you can tell us that. Yeah. But also, she's coming from this sort of not this specific church, but this type of mindset that says, Mm -hmm. if you're deeply unhappy in your marriage, there is no way out because God doesn't allow it. And like, just for the record, there is no reward you get for (laughs) staying in an unhappy marriage. If, Mm -hmm. if you're doing it for the kids, I promise you, your kids want you to separate. They will tell you this later in life. Like there's, it's not a moral failing. It happens. No one benefits from keeping a broken relationship going on forever. And like, again, but if you're that social media influencer wannabe or this pastor, like there is no out in a marriage with very extreme uh, exceptions to the rule. And Mm -hmm. even that, like I was surprised to hear him offer caveats like abuse or adultery. Cause some people Uh will say, Nope, stick with it anyway. But even then, like, if you're just sad, it's okay. You can separate. You can get a counselor. You can do a lot of things right. that don't involve just shut up and deal with it. I was going to say, do they at least say, talk to somebody or find a hobby or talk to your partner? Do they give any kind of advice to say, like, hey, if you're happy, then this. Not if you're happy. If you're unhappy, tough shit. Yeah. Sometimes they will say, go to a church, go to your pastor, talk it out, go to counseling. But, like, Christian counseling. Not oh, sure. Not real counseling. And so that that's the thing. So again, like my problem with this Stuart Allen Clark advice is to send the message that if you're unhappy in your marriage, and that's the worst thing about it, you're you're not the victim of abuse or something like that. But if you're right. still unhappy forever and it's not a we had a fight, that happens. Or like sure. eh, some shit went down and we're at each other's throats, that happens. But you're uh-huh. just unhappy forever too damn bad suck it up that to me is just awful awful advice and it's he learned nothing from his little stint in christian rehab or whatever he went through oh and and i don't nothing's gonna happen to him because again it's a church pastor i'm just afraid people are gonna listen to him or people like him and take him seriously and that troubles me to no end Yeah, that's bad news. Um, While we're at it, let me jump to uh, this other story that is, listen, there all the trigger (laughs) warnings for this story. Oh, no. Because we talked about this when it happened, I think, last year. And uh, we, we touched on this story. It involves a girl getting sexually assaulted. But we didn't know a lot of details. We knew the headline. And now there are some details to add to it. That's why I want to go over this. So here's the story as we knew it, I think, last October. The story was this. There was a youth pastor named uh, Jason Greathouse. And when he was 24 years old, this is back in 2008, when he was Mm -hmm. 24, he was invited to live with a Christian family that had a 14-year-old daughter. 
And they were offering this guy a favor. We have space. You need a place to live. Come live with us. He said yes. That in itself, not entirely weird. I think he was her youth pastor. That's how they knew him. So they said, Mm. come live with us. It's fine. We have space. Um, Very quickly, relatively quickly, the 24-year-old youth pastor and the 14-year-old girl. Yeah, exactly. That happened. Mm. And uh, she eventually got pregnant. And then, here's why we talked about it back in October, at the urging of her parents, we were told, she decided to get married to the guy. Like, they told her, you're pregnant, you better get married, because that's what you do in this situation. Uh And so she did. Sure, why not? like, a year later, of course, things didn't work out. Shocking. What? Um, They divorced. And that, again, we're talking, like, what, 2009 here? And so, last year... It turned out now that she knows she's older now. She's, I think, 30. She filed rape charges against Good. this guy. Um, and the reason we talked about it is because he faced 20 years in prison based on the laws uh, in Alabama. That's where this is taking place. But in October, because of a plea deal offered, crafted by his attorneys, and then the, the prosecutors agreed to it, guess how long he was sentenced to prison? Zero minutes. No time in prison whatsoever. Doesn't have to go on the sex offender registry. He just is on unsupervised probation for two years. And of course, the... Unsupervised probation? Cool. He's he's off the hook, basically. And the reason, the prosecution's like, people were wondering, why on earth would you accept that plea deal on behalf of this girl? And the prosecutors, this is the Uh Coffee County District Attorney, Tom Anderson, saying this. He said... There were extenuating circumstances that would have been allowed to be presented by the defense, like in a trial, that very likely could have resulted in a mistrial or a not guilty verdict. Basically saying, there's some shit we can't tell you about, but it would have made the girl look really bad. And therefore, we didn't feel comfortable taking this to trial where a jury might have tossed it out. So we just accepted this plea deal where he has some punishment in the form of unsupervised probation and we'll call Uh it a day and also they also allege that like she actually just wants custody of their kid and that's why she's filing a rape charge they insinuated that was part of the thing and that sure discovery and a trial would have uncovered that and that would have been bad for their side okay that was what we talked about a couple months ago and everyone was like that's messed up on the justices messed up the right. abuse happened and no one's getting punished for it. And it's right. Alabama. So of course this is happening. Like <laughs> it's all. And by the way, it didn't help that the pastor's attorney uh, said this to the news. Anytime I have a client walk out of a courthouse with a misdemeanor instead of a felony, I'm wonderfully satisfied. As I if, mean, that's like, his job, I guess. Yeah, it's his job. And also that seems to suggest that if someone did commit a crime, but you got the guy off the hook. That's right. worth celebrating because you're the guy's lawyer. Um, oh, yeah. and one last thing we talked about, I think, at the time. The local news described the the relationship, in big quote hands, that the two of them had as a, quote, consensual sexual relationship. They said you can't that consent in the when news. you're underage. Yeah, they said that in the news as if that was just a fact of the story. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, okay, that's what happened months ago. Here's what happened this week. Um, a journalist named Emily Sugarman, I believe, of the Daily Beast spoke with the victim's family and the victim. 
and like tried to just add more details to the story now that this is all over. Um, I don't mind saying her name because she's not hiding her name anymore. She wasn't hiding it before either. Her name is uh, Ash, Ashley, I believe, Pereira. And basically, she's married. She's 30 now. uh, But obviously, this was a traumatic part of her childhood. Sure. And basically, her issue is that here's what she told the Daily Beast. She was raised in a fundamentalist Christian family. She had the, quote, fear of hell absolutely burned into our heads. So that's the type of church she belonged to. She struggled Mm -hmm. with an eating disorder when she was 13. Her parents did not get her medical help. They just like said, pray more and it'll it'll get over it. Um, I should say the girl's mother told the Daily Beast, like, no, we did take her to counselors, but she was not cooperative. But it's very possible those were Christian counselors and not real ones. I don't know. But anyway, the story went that this guy, pastor, couldn't afford to rent his own place at the time. His Her parents trusted him. They invited him to live with them. And Ash was homeschooled. So the two of them spent time together. And Mm -hmm. she was impregnated when she was 15. Her mother found out about that. And instead of filing charges against him at the time or kicking him out of the house, she basically blamed her daughter. And this is according to Ash. She was like, well, you're supposed to save this for marriage, and now you've given your body to someone, and you need to take responsibility for your own actions. Um, (sighs) Here's the mother's response. The mother, by the way, is very much not on the daughter's side on any of this. The mother said Pereira lied about her age to the pastor, which... There's a number of reasons that seems weird. One is you're living with the family. How do you not know she's 14? Right. That Two was, yeah. is that 16 is technically legally the age of consent in Alabama. Like, so she was 14, but you thought she was 16. You, the pastor apparently taught her how to drive. Don't you think that should have raised a flag about her age? Like, uh-huh. didn't he know? Um, and also, why would you not double check? And even if you didn't double check, even if she's 16, what the hell are you doing? This is right. not ethically okay, even if it's legally you thought it was acceptable. Like, like I'm even sorry, though- officer, she looked 16 is not the excuse you think it is. Yeah, if you're going to lie, at least lie and say you thought she was 18. Because even if you're like, oh, I thought she was 16, sir, well, I guess whatever state it is. <laughs> Like, uh, what monsters? What about the wedding? The mother said, we didn't, I'm paraphrasing here, the mother said, we didn't coerce her into marriage. It was her idea to have the wedding. But again, when you raise your daughter in a fundamentalist Christian church where... she's a teenager! Yeah, she doesn't know any, like, don't, I'm not going to blame a 14-year-old for not dealing with this in the right mature way. Yeah. Um, what about the custom? Like, why did she wait until 2020 to file charges? The claim from the pastor guy was that she now wants full custody of their daughter. And she thinks mm. the best way to do that is by filing rape charges against him. According to her, she didn't actually realize she could file a lawsuit until recently. And that's why she had to wait until this long to do it. Yeah, of um, course. And like she, one of the things she said is that, in their custody case, I don't know the specifics here. I don't know if it's 50-50 custody, but she mm-hmm. she said this. I don't want to have to ask my rapist's permission for things. No Ooh. one should ever have to do that. And yeah, that's why girl. she filed this lawsuit. Um, but again, her daughter, by the way, their daughter, is now uh-huh. 14. 
same age as when she was sexually assaulted. And I just, nothing has happened outside of a handful of stories that mention the pastor's name uh, because this guy has just been able to go out and do have his life, whatever he wants, whatever he wants. Um, There's no jury. And again, there's a lot of talk about how this girl might not have been a quote, perfect victim because who cares again if you're the jury or if you're the prosecutor that's the argument they would make saying like look we wanted to bring this to trial but she's not perfect and we're afraid a jury's not going to go for it and if there's too many of those red flags this i mean we've seen the same thing with prosecutors trying to challenge cops if they kill black people it's like we wanted to prosecute the cop but again If we know this about the victim, it's going to be really hard for a jury to see things the way we want them to. Like, I don't like it. I do understand if it's a, if it's a good prosecutor, like I do understand that is a case they can make because they've talked Mm -hmm. about it. I'm not saying they're all ethical. I'm saying like, they do have that discussion. Are we going to win this case? Because you only want to bring the case if you think you have a chance of winning it. Sure. And if there's a victim, even if you think it's true, and even if you think they deserve justice, it's like mm-hmm. if, if they're going to poke, if they're going to uncover all this stuff in a trial, we are genuinely afraid we're going to lose this case. And that would be even worse. So, like, yeah. I hate that that's a real thing you have to think about. Right. But I just want to point out this. is We now have the, the victim's side of the story. We have her mother's side of the story, which I had not heard before. Mm-hmm. Um, and it doesn't help, but it just adds more yeah, adds I, texture to every, how horrible yeah. this woman's childhood was. Christ. Everything I thought about this story turned out to be accurate. Yeah. Like the worst case scenario of everything was true. Cool. Great. Yeah. Um, this is a unrelated story, but I just want to point out, this is how like anti-atheist bias seeps into our culture and we don't even talk about it much earlier this week. Um, in anticipation of the anniversary of the January 6th insurrection attempt and stuff, one of the uh-huh. Washington Post columnists, Jennifer Rubin, she was writing, she wrote an essay about how conservative Christians have basically been co-opted by Donald Trump. Like Jesus doesn't bring these people together. Mega cultism does. And you sure. know what? I fully agree with that. Like yeah. there's they are definitely tied by Donald Trump way more than anything Jesus ever said or did. Mm-hmm. Um, and one thing she talked about is that, you know, Jesus might have said, welcome, you know, love thy neighbor. If someone is suffering, you got to help them. It's a very yeah. pro-immigration argument if you quote Jesus. Donald right. Trump, obviously, anti-immigration. So where mm-hmm. do evangelical, white evangelical slide? It's very much anti-immigration. Because right. they care more about Trump and Trumpism than the the Jesus stuff. Mm-hmm. So I'm with Jesus. her. I'm right there with her on that. Uh, she actually wrote, in sum, while the white evangelical political movement has done immeasurable damage to our democracy, its descent into mega politics, conspiratorial thinking, and cult worship has had catastrophic results for the religious values evangelicals once held dear. Which... Hmm. Yes, has a good point. Like, if you think of evangelical Christians, I'm thinking of Donald Trump. I am not thinking of Jesus. 100%. I would add that these religious values evangelicals once held dear. No, they didn't. They were always this bad. We right, just, right. It's just easier to they're, notice now. They're they're kind of like sweetening the pot in hindsight, but <laughs> yeah, sure, I'll really, give it to them. Evangelical Christians were not like 
champions of morality in the 80s and 90s. They just wanted you to think they were. Like, focus on the family bullshit. Okay, here's what Jennifer Rubin then went on to say, and she was talking about immigration. Understanding this phenomenon goes a long way toward explaining the MAGA crowd's very unreligious cruelty toward immigrants. (laughs) And that's where, like... Unreligious. Unreligious cruelty toward immigrants, as if... (laughs) Their anti-immigration position can be defined by the word unreligious. And listen, I don't think she purposely said, like, who hates immigrants? Atheists. Let me put in a synonym. I don't think she was thinking that. I think she just unconsciously used that as an adjective because she thought it describes, like, they're not Jesus-like, so they're unreligious. But that's my point. She wasn't thinking about it. And I think Mm -hmm. she used that word anyway. And here's the weird thing. As so many studies have borne out, if you're talking about legal immigration, you know who's for it more than anybody? Atheists. Atheists, we love immigrants. Yes. <laughs> like, <laughs> we want people to come in and become American citizens, and we support the DREAM Act. By and large, not all atheists, but a whole sure. bunch more. Um, I think specifically only 17% of atheists oppose, like, a path legal pathway to immigration and stuff like that. It's very tiny compared to Uh percentages (laughs) of every religious denomination. Um, We are more likely to support the DREAM Act, oppose family separation, want to deport undocumented people. Like, if you want to know who's for immigration, it is not the Jesus people, it is atheists. So, like, you're wrong on multiple levels, Jennifer Rubin. (laughs) The Secular Coalition for America tweeted out, journalists, pundits, writers, please do not use unreligious as a synonym for unethical, cruel, inhumane, etc., which mm-hmm. is true. Um, and I've heard the same thing, by the way. I've heard them use godless, uh, godless to imply something that is horrific. I've heard mm-hmm. liberals use the word godless to imply like, oh, these immoral godless people that are yeah. like Donald Trump supporters. It's like, don't don't bring us into this mix. We're not like that. Or they use the phrase, there are no atheists in foxholes to suggest that in times of tragedy, we all turn to the same God. We're all alike. Mm. It's like, buddy, there are so many atheists in foxholes in the military. Like, they don't believe in God even in times of tragedy. Stop using that phrase. I know you're not purposely doing it, but it's seeped into your unconscious thinking. Mm -hmm. It's just, it's how anti-atheist slander just goes under the radar. Right. Um, And it's messed up. And it needs to Yeah, it is. It is. It sucks. And it's interesting that she says unreligious and not like unchristian because at least Christianity yeah. in theory has a point of view. Like, And I would have the same problem with unchristian. It's like you want to define oh, Christian oh, your whole I'm not saying that would be better. <laughs> I'm just surprised. But yes. Like she went straight to what's the atheisticalist word I can think of right, and I'll run right. with that. It's like stop it. <laughs> don't, don't drag us into this mix. We're the ones fighting against it. Um. Here's the story. Okay, I missed this story a month ago. I don't. I haven't heard people talk about it either. And so I wanted to bring this up because it is a wild ethical dilemma. I believe it's from Australia. I don't know how to think about it. And I, I want to put this out there. Most for listeners, for you, like tell me what you think about this. And I'll try to summarize this story. There was an 80 year old man in Australia named Colin Stratton. Um, He has been suffering for a long time. He has terminal bowel cancer. He... uh, Oh, no, that sounds terrible. Yeah, I know. I I couldn't tell you specifics. It just sounds awful. He lost his wife to a brain hemorrhage. Um, So emotionally, he's scarred. 
This is his wife of 50 years who just died a few years ago. Oh. Like, so he's emotionally drained. Sure. He is suffering from, uh, he, in addition to the bowel cancer, he has an abnormal heart rhythm. He's been in and out of the hospital. But one Hi. thing this guy said, he is of sound mind. Like, he uh-huh. can have a conversation with you. But uh-huh. here's the problem. According to his own doctors, there's no reason to think he's going to die in the next six months or year. Like everything he has can be treated and he's not at risk of dying in the next year because of his conditions. Okay. Because of that, even in Australia where people can do the death with dignity stuff and Mm. do, you know, physician assisted suicide or whatever the death with dignity, whatever the proper phrase is there. He like, I want to say he can end his life on his own terms and uh-huh. that is legal in Australia, provided that doctors say you yes, you have to follow very strict guidelines before they will say it's legal for you to do. And those conditions involve like multiple doctors have to say, yes, you are within, you have a sane mind, you are capable of thinking for yourself. This is not uh-huh. a moment of insanity where you're saying, I want to kill myself. Doctors right. have to say you are on the verge of death within six months or a year. And also, like, uh, there are some other conditions, but those are the big ones. And the doctors made it clear, you are not on the verge of death. We cannot help you take your life. This guy tried to, I guess, order a suicide pill online or something, and it didn't work. And so here's what happened. This is why I bring up this story. Um, Last year, I believe, he asked his kids to help end his life. And he literally, I know, this is disturbing. You can skip forward from the story, listeners. Um, can I? Yeah, you you cannot. You must listen. Oh, um, he asked his daughter to, like, take a gun their family owned and shoot him. He's like, I'm ready to go. This is the only way I can do it quickly. I need mm-hmm. your help. Daughter's like, there's no effing way I am doing this for you. I'm paraphrasing. Um, his son said, Dad, I don't want to do this. I love you. But also, I know you're in pain. And, like, I'll do whatever you want because I want to help you. But, like, Uh you know this is going to be troubling. Um, (laughs) Son went ahead and did it with the dad's. Wow. Holy shit. Yeah. Um, I'm not going to get into details, but the son pulled the trigger with the dad's full encouragement. And that was the story. This happened. Um, And then they arrested the son. Yeah. And very clearly, like, because he shot a dude. Because he shot a dude, even if it was what everything I just told you, no one disagrees with any of those details. Right. Um, And so this guy was charged with murder. He did plead guilty to a charge of aiding and abetting suicide, which had a maximum jail term of five years. He actually spent 46 days in jail before he got out on bail. And so, but he was charged. He had to go in front of a judge to find out if he was going to be sentenced to five years in jail. And Uh last month, the uh, Supreme Court justice, but I don't know if that's their highest court necessarily, but basically she said, I'm not sending you to jail. She said, you tried to dissuade your father, but you knew he would follow through. Basically, if you did not help him, the father was going to shoot himself. Uh She also said, you were placed in an unenviable position. You pulled the trigger out of love and respect for his wishes. Justice Uh should be tempered by mercy. There is no interest to the community in sending you to prison. 
Wow. So she let him off the hook. I uh, what did she say? She he's out on good behavior bond for two years, and he does have to undergo mental health treatment for the PTSD he suffers yeah. as a result of what he did. But he's not going to jail. Um, she said, "You're not a threat to anyone else, basically." And so why would I why would I put you in jail? Who am yeah. I helping? Who, doing? Yeah, who is this for? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um, and basically the question is like, there's I mean, so many ethical cases here. Does this guy, the guy's son, does he deserve to be punished? Were the yeah. laws dealing with the the assisted suicide laws that said, I know this guy is dying. I know he's suffering. No one's denying mm-hmm. that. He wants to end life on his own terms. He told his kids and doctors, if I am on the verge of death, please pull the plug. You have my yeah. permission. He had already yeah. said that in advance, but there was nothing he could else he could do other than sit there and suffer. And so it were the, was the law not good to him? Like if the law right. isn't helping you, like, this guy didn't seem to have any other choice. So right. I, I don't even know what I'm asking necessarily here, but I just want to put this out there. I, I have a lot of problems with the deeply unfair situation he put the son in, but I also, mm-hmm. the son knew this was very clear. The son knew that right. if he didn't help, the dad was going to do it on his own. And that might've been worse. Right. Um, and the son wanted to help his dad not suffer. Mm-hmm. So like, I don't even know how to think about that, but I just like, this is what this guy felt compelled to do because the law wasn't helping him. And yeah. I, I would love to hear from anyone, honestly, email us. I would love to hear from anyone who says, minus the specifics of the situation, what this guy did and the possibility he should have been jailed for it. He sh- I, I want to hear from someone who says he should have gone to jail. That right. what he did was ethically wrong um, and he should have paid a price for it because we cannot allow anyone to do that to someone else, no matter the right. situation. I want to know if that's a plausible theory, because reading the story, hearing about it, it's like, I I don't think I understand this was not an easy decision. I don't right. think this was murder. I don't think he did it out of any gesture other than I want to help my father Mm-hmm. And I don't know any other way to do it. I have to think there were other options that would not have given this guy PTSD, but I don't know. Like, I, mean, I don't know. Help yeah. me not make sense of this. That's what I, I want to put out there because I've been thinking about this for weeks because we haven't recorded. Yeah. And I, I still, I am, I am no more clear on how to think about this story. I mean, I, I, I think we're, we're in agreement. I think, I, I, I think this, the young, the son was put in a, terrible position but i don't i mean i i think everybody was desperate every single person in that situation was desperate and yeah yeah i I think the judge nailed it of like who are we helping this wasn't you didn't try to commit a crime you tried to help somebody like yeah it's fine Um, uh, i don't know if this is worth pointing out or not but one thing to mention is that uh he had gone through the the father had gone through the legal process to be considered for the assisted dying. It's called the assisted dying scheme. But the doctor said, you need to wait another two weeks to determine your eligibility to see Mm. if we would legalize it. And the dad is like, I don't want to wait two weeks. He said, and I'm quoting, today is my day. I want to kill myself today. And the doctors are like, we're not helping you with this. It's illegal for us to help you with this. And that's when the son decided to act. So 
anyway, I'm putting it out there. Let let me hear your thoughts. I genuinely this is such want an to unenviable hear them. position. It is. Uh, I, I and I'm not defending. I'm not defending the traumatic thing you put the sun into. I think that's a horrible position. Um, yeah, that's tricky. I don't know what I would do. I I don't think I could ever bring myself to do that. But I don't mm-hmm. know this again. The sun made it clear. I did this out of love for my father. The father right. wanted this. I wanted to help my father. I don't know what else he could have done. And I'm assuming mm-hmm. they considered other options and there were none. So I don't know. Yeah, I assume okay. so. I'm going to end oh, this. Yes. I'm going to end this with a more upbeat story. Oh, uh, thank God. Because I definitely did not want to end on that one. <laughs> which is that uh, on Christmas Eve, the First Presbyterian Church of Belfont in Pennsylvania held its final cool. service. And the reason that was significant is that this is one of the oldest churches in Pennsylvania. It's been around for 221 years. Wow. It's been around forever. And it wasn't because of COVID or not just COVID. Basically, uh, this church, they said before the pandemic, had about 40, 40 members. And okay. now the number's down to like 25. But if you look at video of their services, like the building is effing huge. Oh, really? (laughs) They they cannot keep up with maintenance of that church with the very little money they have coming in. Uh Um, And they didn't have in-person worship for a while because of the pandemic, obviously. And when they reopened, Mm -hmm. like they just weren't making anything and they don't have any money in their bank account to rely on here. Mm -hmm. And like a few decades ago, the pastor said there were like 200 people in attendance. They used to have a nursery. They used to have classrooms for Sunday school. None of those <laughs> things have been used for a long time because mm-hmm. no one with kids age, <laughs> no one is in yeah. that church who is <laughs> of childbearing age. So like, it's just uh, a very old congregation. They have no money coming in to justify keeping the building. So they close the building. They're just saying okay. we're done. For the people who still want church, there's no shortage. <laughs> you can find places to <laughs> right. go to. And I do feel kind of sad for the people who wanted to go to church and don't have this place that brought them comfort anymore. Mm-hmm. But also, what did you want from them? Like, the church yeah. isn't around. The thing I actually found surprising, two things. One is this church had no uh, digital outreach. They very clearly have not tried oh, sure. to get new members. Like there's no real Facebook page. Their website doesn't exist. And I don't think that's just because they closed down. Um, mm-hmm. There's no YouTube channel. I was watching their live Facebook stream of the final service and there's no microphone for the pastor. It's like, you don't want anyone to watch oh. this. No one's going to watch this. They're just going to look at it. Maybe they don't know how to, they don't, maybe they don't know how to, but also they clearly were not trying to fix that problem. Sure. Um, which is one thing. Like, you're not trying to get new members, much less younger members. Mm-hmm. Um, and then one of their 77-year-old members, Pam Benson, told the news. Uh, they asked her, like, what do you think about your church closing? Here's what she said. She was talking about how when she was a kid, things were different. She said, oh, "Sure, it was so different. It was just what you did. Unless you were really sick, it was just what you did. Talking about going to church. Oh, uh-huh. And it's like... You're proving my point here, which is if the only thing drawing you to church is a sense of obligation and and habit and habit (laughs) and tradition and not some desire to hear the words of Jesus forever or because the church makes you feel like you're part of something greater. And the only reason you're going is because this is what I do on Sunday mornings. Mm -hmm. You're not making a compelling case for why churches should remain open. Like younger people, especially, I think 
have found better things to do with their time. They have mm-hmm. found better tight-knit communities around matters that act things that actually matter to them, whether it's a political activism mm-hmm. sort of thing or some hobby that draws them to other people. Like there are so many other things that you could find community with these days. Right. Um, and so like, again, I just don't feel, I, I almost want to feel bad for the old people losing their church. And I don't, and I'm, I, I don't, I'm not happy because they're shutting down the church. That's not a atheist knee jerk response here. I'm not saying, mm-hmm. yay, more churches should close too necessarily, but also like, eh, I don't feel bad. I'm, I'm sure plenty of churches are going to close for the same reason. No one cares sure. about them. No one's giving them money. They can't justify the building. And it's like, yeah, I mean, you deserve to go. No one should be propping you up for no reason. Right, right, right. Yeah, I, it's, yeah, it, yeah, shit happens. Sorry, like, things shift. Like, there's towns dying all over the country because nobody lives there. Like, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. It's, it, I'm sure it's sad to people who have a very, um, oh, I don't know, uh, bright-eyed view of like 1950s americana and we all went to church and we all wore dresses and women wore pearls to vacuum and all that stuff but like i don't know the world was never really like that like it was pretty bad for most people all the time so (laughs) i'll uh, point out two other quick things one is that i believe this church is affiliated with the presbyterian church usa and they're actually generally progressive unlike lgbtq rights and stuff so this wasn't a matter of uh it's a two it's a very conservative church and young people don't want to be a part of it no right. it's not like the most conservative church i don't think they're pretty sure. progressive in that sense and the other thing is this i actually found surprising i read a handful of different articles about this church shutting down and virtually none of them said anything about the church's beliefs which i just found incredible they're all like oh. the church has been around forever and it's now shutting down it's like well, what do the people there believe about Jesus? It doesn't matter. <laughs> it was just so irrelevant to every yeah. news story, which I think, again, just tells you a lot about this church. It has nothing to do with faith. It's about tradition mm-hmm. and habit and nothing else because no yeah. one else cares about the Jesus stuff, yeah. even the people who yeah. go there, apparently. So mm-hmm. um, anyway, I will leave it at that. <sighs> <Cool>. <laughs> That's enough stuff to break my head with for a while. <laughs> um, yeah i'm really curious to to hear back about that australian assisted suicide story yeah if, please um, send us feedback friendly atheist podcast at gmail.com um especially if i missed any details that i should have said in the story right and, that would be um, that's it we'll be back next week hopefully in person yeah. uh, everyone will feel healthy and safe and all will be back to normal Mm-hmm. <laughs> can't wait <laughs> you um, can support the show at patreon.com slash friendly atheist podcast uh, mm-hmm. if you give five bucks a month you can listen to the bonus episode that we'll record right after this and mm-hmm. where do we find you um well at my house no i'm kidding ah. it was a fun joke i made because uh, i have covid um I, you can find me on twitter at just Blumke. um you can um oh my etsy shop is bitches get stitch done i make custom cross stitches um so if you want a fun gift or something for somebody uh head over there hemant where can we find you i am at hemant meta on twitter and i will soon be at only sky if you google it you'll find it which is a new uh media hub for atheist all things atheist let's put it that way and you can find that link uh, in my Twitter bio as well. And Great. we'll see you next week. All right. Goodbye. Bye.